Fresh Air Production. Hello, my name's Neil Cowling, and as the founder of Fresh Air, I spend most of my time thinking about branded podcasts, why businesses should have them, how they work, and what makes them successful. However, I'm aware that very few other people do. So that's why we created this series, Fresh Ears from Fresh Air Production. In each episode, we deconstruct, dissect, and chat through a branded podcast series with the client, the producer, and anyone else involved to see what we can learn. And more importantly, what you might be able to glean if you're thinking of creating a podcast for your business. We're talking about branded podcasts in a branded podcast. So we'll follow that rabbit hole for half an hour and see where it takes us. We work for all sorts of brands, large and small, but on our client list, they don't come much bigger than Shell with the Energy Podcast. Will renewables, wind and solar, be enough to meet global energy demands? When the wind stops blowing, when the sun stops shining, we still need to have power, we still need to have energy. And then we look for a source of energy to complement those fuels. Or could natural gas be a way to help reduce emissions? When you look at what has actually helped to put a lid on the rise in global emissions over the last few years, in fact, coal to gas switching has, has played quite a significant role. So why would a massive multinational oil and gas company want to talk to people via a podcast? And what would they be trying to achieve with it? How would it feel like anything other than corporate propaganda? Let's find out. So uh, with me is Bryony McKenzie, the editor of Digital Channels at Shell, and Annie Day, our senior producer here at Fresh Air. Hello. Hi. Hi. Bryony, let's start by summarising a little bit what the Energy Podcast is, what it does, how it sounds. How would you characterise it as a series? Hi, Neil. Well, obviously it sounds great. I want to say first and <laughs> foremost. Um, as a series, so the idea is that we talk about all things energy related. At the moment, we try and do roughly one a month and we, on each episode, focus on different aspects of the interesting parts of energy. So at the moment, um, obviously in the news a lot, there's that push to lower emissions. So we might take an episode and say, well, let's look at how you lower emissions in the road transport sector, for example. So we talk a lot about EVs and we get on a panel of guests who are experts from all over, global experts, and we try and do a, a case study and talk to some real people. And then also what we, we try and do is um, have someone on who's who's critical, who's the other side of the fence, who thinks that there are better ways to do things and then we wrap them all up into a 20-minute podcast. You're a journalist by background, uh, you also present this podcast but say so you're editor of Digital Channels for Shell, so why does Shell have a podcast? What's the point? I think it's a really good question and I think a lot of people are quite surprised when they realise that that an energy company has a podcast. I mean they're great for Shell I think for three for three reasons. Podcasts are global. And as you said, Shell is a multinational. So it's really important for us to have that global platform. Secondly, it's really important for us to have that robust conversation around the big topics. And we found that podcasts really enable us to do that, have a real deep dive, hear different arguments and have a debate, which is sort of particularly important in the industry that, that we're in. And I think lastly, as a as a form of communication, you know, you read any analysis and podcasts are becoming more popular. So as a means of, of communicating with an audience, they're really, really valuable for reaching people because we know that more and more people, especially in the areas that we have a lot of 
clients in, a lot of customers, a lot of interested people, they're listening there. So UK, Netherlands, the US, that's where our market is. So they're a really, really important tool for us. And I remember when we first started talking about it, we set out uh, Shell's phrase for a target audience is um, energy engaged millennials, but essentially those who are interested in the energy system, those who, who take an interest in the move towards lower emissions, etc. Fair to say Shell is probably not an uncontroversial organisation. What's the what's the comms challenge that you deal with? What are you trying to change people's minds of or what are you trying to uh, have as an objective behind the podcast? So my particular goal, um, my personal goal, is to engage with people who have no interest in us as a company. Um, and that is a challenge but yeah, I think a podcast really helps with that. And I think the energy podcast from the outset, and you'll know this, Neil, because you were there before me at the beginning. From the outset, we aim to ask difficult questions. An example being the episode titled, Why Doesn't Shell Just Stop Producing Oil and Gas? So what we hope to achieve is for people to see the companies capable of being challenged, asking really difficult questions of ourselves, questioning our role and what we're doing. And as I said before, it's, it's a really important time um, for us as a company to to be transparent and hold ourselves accountable, particularly with the focus on climate change at the moment. So, Annie, let's bring you in. So, as producer of the series, and your background is journalism as well. So, how do you go about setting up a an episode for Shell? What are your priorities when you're thinking about how to communicate Shell's messages through a podcast? I would probably say from the outset that it's a it's a collaboration. So. They don't just kind of give me a topic and say, work with it. Um, and I do think that that's actually developed quite a lot since we started doing the podcast. So I think probably as Shell have learned to trust us and, and works out more about what we can do, they've gone with us a lot more. Um, and I probably had to do a bit more legwork on, on sort of working out which guests might fit in at the very beginning. Whereas now what would probably happen is um, that they'll have a topic in mind and they'll have an idea of the sort of people that they want want to talk to and then really it's it's for me to sort of go away speak to those guests and work on a script with Bryony and and try and work out how we can tell the story along the way so it is very much talking to to Bryony throughout making sure that the points that they want to get across are included in in what I'm writing but also make sure that what we're writing isn't really dry and and I think that's where the creativity has to come in as well and and I think probably it's fair to say that none of the podcasts are the same as each other so some of the podcasts are just straight debates. So it's literally been and for blockchain, for example, it was just an introduction, a debate with a, a number of guests, and then that was it. Um, others have been much more detailed. They've got lots of different elements to them. We've been out and spoken to people. We've had people in the studio. So it's totally topic dependent, but it's all the way through. It's me constantly communicating with Bryony, finding out what they want to do and, and having a chat about what could be possible and working in some creativity into what they want, basically. So, Annie, we moved between topic areas we move between formats some of them are straight interviews some of them are much more complicated as we've talked about we do have consistent threads throughout because it's supposed to feel like a series it's supposed to feel like it's got some glue between it what are those elements how does it feel like it all sticks together so um one of the most consistent things is the presenter so Bryony um at the moment is um is 
presenting. And the format is flexible. Um, obviously, all the topics are different. I don't think we've returned to any topics yet. Um, but there is consistency throughout. So I've made a point of having the same music that um, opens the podcast every episode. And that's just a little trigger to people in their minds. And if you hear that music, you think, oh, this is Shell. Um, so we've got the same music at the beginning and we've got the same music at the end. And I've got a little selection of, of what we call music beds that I can just drop in and out throughout the rest of the episode. And loosely, every introduction is slightly different, but it's got a sort of fixed format in that Bryony is setting up the episode and she's asking a question at the beginning. And we always have a conclusion at the end as well, because there's no point in asking a question if you don't answer it. But then the bit in the sandwich is the bit that changes. That's where the, the rest of the creativity comes in and Brian, how do you decide what you want to do and what creative approach to take in each episode because there must be so many topics that you could cover as an organization in any given month how do you decide that i think i'm going to fill annie with dread now and say we're, we want to do another blockchain podcast ah <laughs> oh, nice oh we all look forward to that <laughs> i went to a conference it's fine <laughs> how do we decide on, on what we do we have sort of several several things we have to take into account so we have to take into account the broader topics that the, that the company wants to talk about. And that's the sort of direction of travel for the business. For me personally, and as you said, Annie and I are from similar backgrounds that we both journalists and we've both worked at the BBC for a long time. To me, I want to talk about what's in the news. I want to talk about what everyone else is talking about, because that way I think that we're going to get more engagement and more people are going to listen. And it shows that we're following, um, not following or sometimes leading in the conversation, which is really important. I mean, what Annie does brilliantly is bring it to life because we have got quite a few journalists at Shell and a colleague of mine, Claire, who we both work on the podcast together. Claire's, you know, from a newspaper background. I'm from a, a TV news background. But what, what has been brilliant is that obviously Annie is an audio specialist. It is a collaboration, but she will very much say that doesn't work or I think you should do this or let's come up with creative ideas just to make it sound better, which for us is brilliant. So our relationship's very much developed into it's blossomed hasn't it Annie and what's the you've got you've got three tensions there haven't you you've got you've got a creativity which is you know creating something that people want to hear you've got a journalistic rigor which is a sort of independence and we try and be a critical friend and you know as you say Annie will push back and think about it from a from a journalistic point of view but you've also got corporate comms you've got stuff that you want to say and you need to be in there so how do you balance those three things? Is that just an, an instinct or do you have to have lots of internal conversations around that? I think what what happened in the beginning, and I can't take credit for this because I wasn't there when the, when the podcast actually started, what was really well done was really nailing down what the podcast was and what it wasn't. And that has been really stuck to through thick and thin and you know because in in a large organization not just shell but any big organization there is a much bigger thrust towards the business size as there would naturally be and if you have a really strong i think ours is called a podcast charter but if you have a really good outline and say we know that you want to talk about electric vehicles so the rest of the world calls them electric vehicles or evs and you'll find in big organizations they have their own language. They might talk about EVs and call it mobility. So you really have to kind of say, this is the audience we're trying to reach. They are people who are energy engaged, but essentially we have to be plain spoken. We have to, we have to make it engaging and creative and informative. 
And it's not just another marketing or PR tool. This is is different. And I think as soon as people get on board with that from the beginning and they can see the value, then that's fine. I think it would be more difficult to do that further down the line. It, you have to you have to kind of nail that down initially so that people trust you and say, okay, well, that sounds good. You go off and you go off and make it. And then obviously we come to you. <laughs> I remember um, some of the first meetings that we had about it. And the the person working with us at the time just said to me, constantly ask, is this interesting? Or even stronger, is this boring? Do you care? And to have a brand say that to you, it was, it really took me aback because that, that doesn't always happen. Um, and he was very clear, this is not a puff piece for Shell. So if at any point you're listening to something and you think this is just one big advert or you're listening and you've just totally zoned out, tell us and and you'd be bold enough to tell us and they've absolutely stuck to that throughout yeah you have to try and self-police when it comes to acronyms and language and that sort of thing don't you and you Annie have to insert lines in the script that say what do you mean by that or a prompt in a recording to say what do you mean by that yeah exactly that and and in the past we have had um uh, conversations with um, team members who are totally absorbed in these subjects every day. It's all they work on. And so it's my job to take a step back and say, actually, you're delving far too deep into that. Back up, back up, back up. <laughs> you know, take yourself back to the level before you, you know, you started working in this industry because we want detail, we want context but you don't want to blind the audience with science. And so we have had a few conversations where we've said, actually, that's, you know, that is too much. You, you've, you, you need to kind of step out of the shell bubble and put yourself into the, the real, real world, as it were. We've had quite a few conversations around, around episode titles, which is a real kind of struggle. And I think actually the ones that you always suggest always, um, always end up being the ones that, that go on because you know what people are going to click on and, it's a sort of turn of phrase and there's a real there's a real skill in that that I think is really valuable. And I think, I, I guess with companies as well, any company, they would tend to want to err on the side of caution, whereas, you know, being a bit provocative is actually is actually quite good. And I think people at Shell, the businesses at Shell, have really realised there's a value in that as well. The other thing that we've always tried to do from the start, I think, is, is add colour, what we would call colour to, which sounds crazy in an audio product but we're doing it we're doing an episode about tree planting let's go and record it in a forest we're doing an episode about hydrogen let's go to a filling station where they've got hydrogen and we can demonstrate it and the presenter can drink the water from the exhaust pipe that sort of stuff where we getting out of a studio i've always felt that that's really something that shell's input and 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 you've always allowed us to have that creative freedom and and it may not sound like a radical idea but it just gives it uh, something more than you would get from a, just getting a bunch of people in a studio together, doesn't it? Annie, on the on the the practical side of the guest, so you've got a brief from Shell. You need to talk about this topic. Probably this is the angle we want to cover. How much, on a practical level, do you get told what guests to include, or are you given a, an open brief? Go and find somebody to talk about hydrogen. How does that work? I would say that's changed slightly over time. Um, and, and again, I think this is partly because Shell know more about what they want. And also, I think that 
the, the, so the, the way generally that the episodes work is that we're working on a podcast for a team in Shell. And I think that as we've gone along, the teams have, have heard the podcasts and heard what's possible. And so they've very clearly gone away and thought about what is, um, what could be suitable. And let's be honest, they've got amazing contact books and they know who the experts are on these subjects because they live and breathe it. And I don't. So to begin with, probably it's fair to say that I was given topics like carbon capture. I was maybe giving an the starting point, but I was doing quite a lot of the research. And blockchain is a good example of this. Neil, you and I had a lovely day in a conference hall in London, yes. <laughs> learning more than I ever blockchain thought. Blockchain live, <laughs> recommend it to anyone. Exactly. I never thought I needed to know so much about blockchain, but actually it was invaluable because I came away with a list of guests that I could then approach and suggest to Shell. And they were the people that we ended up on the podcast. Whereas now I think, as, as I said, as the teams have become more aware of, of how we work and what we can do, they're generally coming to us with the guest suggestions. So they're not nailed down. And if these people aren't available or they don't want to do it, or I find somebody better, then they'll absolutely go with it. But from my point of view, it's it would be silly to look a gift horse in the mouth um, if they've got connections. And, and by connections, I don't mean internal shell people. And I, and I do think that that's really important thing to say that we're not booking guests that are either only going to agree with Shell or are going to agree with each other. Because if you're doing a panel discussion and all the guests agree, what's the point of that? And if you've only got guests who say Shell are brilliant, again, what's the point of that? So I think now it's it's much more Shell offering the suggestions. I go away, do the brief and then come back. As I said, it is a collaboration. Come back to Bryony and say, these are the areas that they can discuss. Do you think that this works? Is this the direction that this, this could go in? I mean, you say what's the point of that? And it seems kind of obvious, but I think there are... I've, I've always been genuinely really surprised and impressed by Shell's bravery and ability to invite people with a contrary point of view onto your own podcast. And I know this sounds like I'm just sort of blowing smoke, but the the point is we, we, have, we, we did that episode in the forest and there was a contributor from Friends of the Earth who came on and was involved in a conversation on Shell's own podcast to be critical of Shell's own policy. I think that's an extraordinary thing for a multinational like Shell to, to do. Is that... Is that normal, Bryony? Is that something you, you would do in any other medium or is that something that's different for podcasts? I think that the podcast has probably led the way in that. I do think that from starting out and saying we are going to have people who criticise, well, who are critical of what we're doing, and we're fine with that because it's a discussion and it's not black and white. And there are so many ways to slice a cake that, you know, we're not going to be right all the time. Does Shell do it in other mediums? Um, at the very highest level, it, you know, we all have the sort of the CEO and, and other sort of senior leaders having sort of robust debate and being challenged. But I think that, I think the podcast is unique in that respect. And I, I don't know if there are any other energy companies that are really doing that. And to us as an organization, I think it's really important because of transparency and we need to really be open and honest about what we're doing, what we're not doing and what we need to do more of. It does really align with that. So I think we're just a really difficult and crucial point in that kind of transition period where we need to make change. So this really does back that up that, okay, how, who are we going to have on to tell us how we need to make change or why they think we need to make change. And, and that's fine. That's good. And at risk of answering my own question, it's to do with the 
the depth of conversation you can have in in podcasting isn't it because it 20 25 30 minutes you can have nuanced debate about something that you can't in a short blog or in a three minute youtube video what what i've realized is that you could have three people on who have completely opposing views and might come at something from completely different angles but it's a really interesting listen and it's not the the tone of it or the tone of our podcast is not particularly you know combative I wouldn't say people are really respectful and just and just put their point across yeah it's definitely not competitive but when I'm um booking any of the guests and and we are doing a discussion I always say to them don't be too nice don't be too friendly if somebody says of you that you disagree with feel free to be critical that's what you're on here for so we don't want them yelling at each other Um, but we have had some really nice discussions and and it's and you can always tell when you get a great point like that because it makes a brilliant teaser clip for the beginning of the podcast so you can just take that out and and you know if you've got three little opposing views that's fantastic and you know that is a gem um from a debate um but you know what we don't want is them all shouting at each other but just a little bit of tension i think works really well and and you know you want to give different points to the audience otherwise there's no point in doing it the other challenge you've got in terms of booking guests and trying to get balance is that we want it to be a global podcast and you mentioned that earlier you know shell is a anglo-dutch company it's produced in the uk or the podcast is produced in the uk by us it's got an english presenter how do you go about making it feel like it's global i think that's totally down to the guests and this series we've had guests in america we've had somebody um from china we've had uh, voices from kenya from india and it is just getting those different voices and those different textures in each podcast so uh, bizarrely actually lockdown has probably helped that because you're not asking people to come to a studio in london as long as you work around the time difference you can get somebody on a conference call it's also using more much more subtle and really simple techniques so if you're talking about a location just say london you don't need to be really specific and and say that you're in the middle of Hammersmith because if you're listening to it in Australia, they have no idea probably where Hammersmith is. They've probably got a pretty good (laughs) idea where London is. So um, I I often see my job to go through the script and and just make sure that we're not being too too tiny. We're not being too UK centric. Think bigger. Who can we go to that's not just a London voice? You know, can we go to Australia, for example? And, And certainly with Carbon Capture, we had Japan, Australia and London all on the same podcast. And I think only one of them was in the studio at the time. And, and Bryony, one of the key examples of this is really at the start of lockdown. I remember having a conversation literally in the as lockdown happened, uh, where rather than saying, OK, let's stop doing all this for a bit. It all sounds too difficult. You essentially told us to make the most complicated programme of the whole series <laughs> at that point. Tell us a bit about the China. I know you episode. like a challenge, Neil. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> the China episode. I mean, when you when we said about China, what were your first thoughts? Because I'd be interested to know. Because it was it was it was quite a shot in the dark. I think it was like my first episode. And so we we were in a period where lots of people that we work with were thinking we might need to put things on hold for a bit. And also, we know far more now. Uh, six months later than we did at that point about how easy it would be to record remotely because at the time we had been booking people into studios all the time so we were just sort of working this out obviously doing a a a podcast from china as they've just sparked the biggest pandemic in a hundred years was uh, an interesting dimension but also having different languages on is always you know we were you were very clear from the start that you've got lots of experts in China, but they were going to be speaking Mandarin rather than mm-hmm. English. So 
that makes it difficult as well. So not that it's impossible, but it certainly adds layers. And I think we've always seen this program as a more of a documentary format than a discussion format, as said earlier about the creativity. So, yeah, we're up for the challenge. But um, I think we learned quite a lot quite quickly in that, didn't we, Annie? In putting oh, like, that program together, yeah, <laughs> it was um, it was definitely the most complicated podcast I think I've done. So we had the boss of Shell China. Immediately, you've got time differences that you're having to deal with, and also he's quite a busy man. <laughs> um, lockdown or no lockdown, he's quite busy. So trying to get him was a real coup. That was brilliant. He did speak English, um, but what we really, really wanted to do was reflect some of the people who work for Shell who were doing amazing things, really, through the pandemic. So one of the people moved out of their house because they were working. They didn't want to be there near their children. So they they moved out temporarily. And um, somebody else that we spoke to was walking for miles and miles and miles just to get to the petrol station to keep supplies going, basically. They both spoke Mandarin. And so the the complexities of trying to interview them were huge. But in the end, what we decided to do was have somebody from Shell China conduct the interview using mobile phones, exactly as we've done with with lots of other um, interviews. They then sent that Mandarin audio back to me. I then had to put it through a transcription service. But then I I contacted a, a Mandarin speaking producer who was fantastic. And then he was able to edit the audio down. And the way it works with me and Bryony is I give her the raw audio, the transcript. She decides what she wants to keep. And then you're doing that process backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And and basically the Mandarin producer, Mandarin speaking producer is that middle guy. And he was able to edit it all for me, do the voiceover, give it back to me. And at the end, it meant that we had a really lovely mini documentary where they talked about the challenges in China that the energy sector had faced and how they'd come out of it. And it sounded really authentic. We could have just got him to explain their stories, but it was so much nicer to have the authentic voices and to hear them telling their own stories in their own words. After the epidemic happened, the majority of my colleagues in the city were quarantined at home. Only three colleagues who lived near the retail station could report to work. One of them caught a cold and was feeling unwell, and the other two were exhausted. I was able to get a temporary pass to go to work. After the outbreak, what else changed at the retail sites? How did customers react? They don't talk much. The freight drivers delivering goods especially. They are all fully equipped with masks, visors, gloves. There was an extra layer of complexity to that that I think was was a huge challenge. I'm always surprised as well about how when any language crops up, last week it was Swahili and Annie says, oh, I know someone who can, oh, I've got someone who (laughs) who knows that language. I can sort that out within about 10 seconds as well. Bronnie, how different is it? You come come from a TV background, TV news, and uh, Claire is print. When you take the pictures away, how different does it feel? Because we live and breathe audio, but does, does it make it feel scarier? Does it make it, feel perhaps even you know add layers of creativity what what are the main differences you found between audio and telly for me the main differences between audio and I, I think specifically tv news is that obviously as you say writing to pictures you don't have pictures so what i've found is that i've i would have a tendency to kind of canter through something and get it done in two minutes and it will be clip script clip script whereas what 
Annie often says is, oh, well, I'll let, let that breathe and we'll, you know, we'll add some color here and we'll, it's, it's a slightly slower, less frenetic pace because I'm used to sticking to a really, really, really short, tight deadline. So I, I completely accept that as a listen, that, that would be so confusing and just wouldn't really work. So I think that's where, where Annie and I really work well together because she, well, often I'll cut something. You'll say, Oh, well, let, why don't you put that back in? Because actually what he was saying was really, was really interesting and nice. And you kind of cut him off a bit early. So I tend to cut, cut, cut. My colleague Claire, who works on the podcast as well, she's from papers. So she would write sort of beautiful features. And it, again, it would look beautiful on paper, but we, we wouldn't have the expertise that Annie has in audio. So it's like a, a holy trinity <laughs> with Annie at the top. So how do you know if it's worked? How do you know whether this podcast is a, a good investment from Shell's point of view? How do you know whether it's changing anybody's mind or achieving any of the objectives you've, you've set out for it? Such a, that's a really tricky question because you could say, well, downloads are going up and subscribers are going up and therefore it's worked. Job done. Fantastic. I think obviously you need those things. You need that data, but you shouldn't peg everything to data. So a really important thing for us is to say, okay, who do we want to reach? Where are they? So are they, you know, going to the podcast via LinkedIn or Twitter or, you know, do they come to shell.com, for example, and listen there? And what's their feedback? What's the engagement like? What do they say? When we reach out to someone in the shipping sector, for example, who might say, oh, I've heard your podcast. Oh, someone sent me the podcast or someone recommended it to me. Oh, and it was really good. And yeah, I'd like to come on. So I think that's really important as well. Just the general, and I think we're building on that, the general word of mouth and being seen as a, as a sort of a credible, interesting platform that people people want to come on. And as much as I value data and you know, I know a lot of people live and die by data. I do really think a lot of people have got in contact and said, oh, you know, we'll connect on LinkedIn and say, oh, I'd be really interested in coming on. We can offer this or we can offer that um, experts. For me, that's a really important measure of um, of how well we're doing. There was definitely an internal momentum that I think kicked off alongside or probably earlier than the external momentum, because A, you've got tens of thousands of employees who are obviously your first route to listeners and it's not an internal comms podcast but there's some low-hanging fruit there for getting people to listen when you've got such a large employee base that you can talk to but also you mentioned it just now but there's there was definitely a feeling that once you're up and running and, and departments within the organization can see that it works and can see how other sections are talking about themselves they want a bit of it don't they they, they sort of suddenly one team of people say I've got a story. This would make a great podcast. Would you like to do something on this? Yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. In, in any organisation, people need to feel that they have an element of control, but I think that they trust that you're going to really get their point across, but also create something for them that they're happy to be shared externally. I, I know a lot of organisations do have internal podcasts. To my mind, I've always thought, and I think having come from the BBC, where nothing's internal, really everything is external at all times, that something that's internal to 80,000 people may as well be external because that's so many people. And really what we want people to do, whether they work for Shell or not, is share. We want them to share the podcast and to say to 
everyone they know, you should listen to this because it's actually a really interesting listen. And does that go to the top? Do you get senior exec buy into the podcast? Are they all, do, do they even know it exists? I really hope they do. No, they, they do. Um, <laughs> I should be sending a link around now. Um, they do. In, what we do uh, as an organisation is the senior leaders, so the head of new energies and the, not the CEO so far, but we get the most senior people we can, they will put that on their LinkedIn. So they'll share the, they'll share the post on their LinkedIn. And these guys have got a huge amount of followers um, and are sort of key industry players. So we sort of amplify it through really, really big LinkedIn accounts. That that really works well for us. Any other marketing routes that work particularly well for you? How, how, how do you reach an external audience? Predominantly LinkedIn at the moment, because it's just where uh, a lot of our audience is. Um, but obviously we put it on our own website and obviously through you guys, we have it on Spotify and Apple and all the, all the players as well. And I think we're kind of experimenting really in, in trying to kind of engage the audience by doing audiograms, which are kind of work in progress. But I think, you know, we'd like to do more of those in the future because I think there's a real appetite for, for audio and a real appetite for podcasts. And it's just, we can see even with, you know, an energy company, which is, we're not Apple, we're not kind of leading the way in this kind of audio world, but definitely people want to hear more, want to hear more of these conversations we're finding. Annie, any any lessons you've learned from working with Shell uh, about how they do it and that other people could learn from? I think the biggest lesson for me was that the corporate world, and this sounds really obvious, but the corporate world is totally different to working in somewhere like the BBC, partly because I worked in a very small team. And if I wanted something doing, I usually did it myself. And then probably if I really needed to get a manager to oversee it, they would. But it it got made and it went on air the next day. As Bryony's alluded to, everything just takes longer in the corporate world. And that's not a bad thing. Um, but I think it has been an eye-opener, really, as to how many people maybe need to listen to something before it gets out there. And that's that's fine because it means that what you get at the end of that couple of weeks is a really, really polished version. Any tips, tricks you would pass on to others within organisations who are looking to create a podcast of this kind of scale with this with this sort of intensity what would you what have you learned and what would you say to anyone who's looking to do the same don't take Annie away from us because you're not allowed to have her (laughs) I think there's a couple of things I think you have to have an overarching theme so it should be the issue that guides you and just not not a product to my mind it's not really a, a platform to to flog stuff or to sell products. It doesn't really work. At least it doesn't really work for, for what we want to do. If you can talk about issues and engage and have this, have this nice chat and debate, then it's much more interesting than just seeing it as a kind of marketing tool. I think for me, one of the main things was be realistic about the frequency that we could get them out because they are a lot of work. And I think initially when we had our initial conversations, I probably thought that I was going to be able to produce a lot more than I could because if you're having CEOs on and CFOs and, and people who are really time poor, even recording it remotely, it's quite time consuming. And I would say, and I'm not just saying this, I would say don't just attempt to botch and cotch it and do something yourself. Because you know, the input that you guys have as professionals, both in making it sound beautiful, but the input to say that's not going to work and um, why don't you do it like this has really, really added a huge amount of value. And we've seen that in the in the growth, the amount of people that subscribe and, and download. 
Um, and I think if you're an organization and you think, oh yeah, we'll have a crack at that ourselves, I would, I would think twice about that because I, I'm not 100% sure you're going to, you want to see the results that you want. So Shell have made podcasting an ongoing, creative and journalistically rigorous part of their communication system. We never feel like we're making propaganda and it gets the odd award as well. So everyone's a winner. Thank you to Bryony McKenzie, editor of Digital Channels for Shell, and Annie Day, our senior producer and top of the Holy Trinity here at Fresh Air. And if you'd like to find out how Fresh Air Production can help you make a brilliant podcast for your brand or business, we're at freshairproduction.co.uk. I'm Neil Cowling. Thank you very much for listening and cheers. Cheers.